went to a Hilder Gudnadetir concert. She did the score for Joker and she did the score for Chernobyl, that HBO series. It's very intense. I think she won the Academy Award. Yeah, I think she also won stuff for Chernobyl. She recently scored the Battlefield game, which is insane. Yeah, she did a little concertier, con, concierto, concerto in, in Los Angeles, but it wasn't all her work. She was curating a, a selection of music about film music. It was called Real Change. It had the R-E-E-L, it was a bit of a play on words. words, a few nights ago. So it was her, she featured Sakamoto's score from The Revenant and Mika Levy's score from Under the Skin, which is a movie I just saw earlier this year, which is phenomenal. So... You can edit this out. Are we gonna go you right into? You guys need to introduce. Um, or you do that on your own. I don't even know. I feel like that was pretty good, and I could probably edit around that. But we might just say. We could just add a line at the front that says, "Hey, welcome to our show." <laughs> welcome to our show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, this is our show well, too. And, and we are collaborating with this amazing podcast that found me, I guess. Because I post it on Instagram. Um, sometimes I do this with very, very few episodes, but I post a, an advertising thing. Mm, yep. And it found you. And then as soon as you followed me, I immediately, you know, Instagram stalked your guys' stuff and listened to your <laughs> Dune episode. And everything you guys were saying really resonated with me. I was like, oh my gosh, I think we have what the Eternals call the Unimind. And. <laughs> I uh, I oh, couldn't God. agree more, and I loved both of your unique voices and perspective. And this podcast is called Here's Our Take Podcast, which I was so jealous of because our name sucks. I still hate our name. <laughs> but uh, we're so happy, and I couldn't be more excited to have Ali and Mitchum with us today. Well, thank you. What's up, California? Hello, my little <laughs> obsession. Love What's up, listening Oklahoma? to you guys on my runs. Oh, Thank that, you. That's sweet. Well, we're here for you. And I know Gabe is as well. He's, I, I as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just here for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's so, because I mean, it's so funny because we, we've been having these conversations mm-hmm. just by each other for like, I mean, because we've been going to see movies almost every week with each other for as long as I can remember. And always in our theater that we go to is like a 30 minute drive. And so every time we'd come back, I mean, it was like we were having our own podcast that no one was listening to, but just (laughs) us. And it was just so, you know, then finally one day she had a great idea. She's like, we like the people need to know what we're talking about. (laughs) And so, and I mean, I was like, sure, because I mean, we just go and we, we each own have our own unique perspective on things because mm-hmm. i mean we are from two different generations but but we all, we also as everybody keeps pointing out we agree on a lot of movies yeah. and stuff yeah, too yeah so we gabe and i started the same way it was the exact same thing we, yeah steven and i are from different generations that's 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 basically true <laughs> oh, the that's basically the true oh. uh, we <laughs> met in film school I immediately I was like, oh, "That's I like this guy. I want to be friends with him." And then he ghosted me for about six years. <laughs> oh this is true. This is a true story. And then I walked into a Chinese restaurant, and there's Gabe working the counter. And I was like, oh, "What wow. are you doing here? You have an amazing mind." And I was like, "You need to come work at the place that I work, which I'll leave unnamed." But it's Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But so I got him, uh, you know, a job here at at uh, the company that we work for, and then it just kind of went from there. That's the rest awesome. is history. And then we started a podcast because <laughs> we felt the same. We were always having, yeah, what we thought to be 
stimulating conversation and it was just filling this room that we're in now. So we thought might as well put it on a microphone and distribute it online for free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. awesome. It's so nice to be able to do stuff like that, too. So yeah. there's our origin stories. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We're just individual superheroes. Yeah. It's wonderful. So, wonderful times. All right. Well, I, let's just get right into it then. Sure. Because, I mean, yeah. we, got, we got Ghostbusters to talk about. The, the old one and the new one and everything in between. Ugh. Oh, man. Okay. Afterlife. So let me just yes. start real quick because since I'm the other generation... <laughs> I'm going to start this because I distinctly remember, actually, when 1984, I was a young little girl who was old enough to date a boy that could drive, and he was obsessed with Ghostbusters. We even had a huge party out in a field. He spray-painted that Ghostbusters symbol on their old cars in this field, and we had a huge party out there. It was crazy so i saw it in the theater three or four times with this guy because he was obsessed <laughs> with him yeah it was crazy but anyway it came out summer of 84 and i just if you don't mind i would like to share some of the other awesome movies that came out that year oh please romancing the stone 16 candles the last starfighter footloose the original red dawn karate kid Beverly Hills Cop, Starman, and two of my favorites that year, The Natural with Robert Redford, mm-hmm, and Amadeus. Still mm-hmm. one of my favorites. I've seen all of those. Yay, I'm so glad. There's one more on there. Aren't they amazing? Missing. Did I miss one? Uh, this is Spinal Tap also oh, came no. out in 1984. What? <laughs> I, I still have seen all those. Those are all amazing movies. Yes. Amazing Some movies. say it's the best cinematic year no. in history. Oh, really? 1984. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. That is what I've heard from a lot of different people. Okay. Well, wow. great movies there. Good rewinds. Mm-hmm. We're going to rewind another one later, by the way. Okay, so Ghostbusters was PG. It was an hour and 45 minutes. Director was Ivan Reitman, who also directed Kindergarten Cop, Twins, both with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Stripes. Um, and he is still around, but he is mostly producing now. Yeah. Okay. The budget was $30 million, but it made, worldwide, it made $300 million. Isn't that amazing mm-hmm. for 1984? Yes. Wow. Uh, so it was Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis. Uh, Dan and Harold wrote the script with Rick Moranis, who was also in the movie. And just a little trivia, Ghostbusters was the highest grossing movie of all time until Home Alone came out in 1990. That's so crazy. Isn't that? Yeah. I love Home Alone. You said for, was it comedy you said? Highest grossing comedy. For comedy, comedy. yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah. And I guess originally John Belushi was supposed to play the part of Peter Veekman. (laughs) But as Dan Aykroyd was writing the script, he unfortunately passed away. So it was Mm. given to Bill. Mm. Hmm. So 
Oh, I didn't know he passed away that long ago. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was amazing. Wow. That is a long time ago. Yeah. 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 And I, needless to say, as you know, Bill Murray ad libbed most of his life. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody else I could have no played surprise, it. So. Other than Bill. Yeah. There's a lot to say about Bill Murray and his comedic timing. Yes. <laughs> amazing. It's legendary, that's for sure. Okay, so then I was so excited. Wasn't excited about the girls' version in sixteen. Actually I didn't even go see it. But Same. when they Same. started no. doing when they started advertising this afterlife and with that director and writer i was just so excited to see this the ghostbusters afterlife and i think the new one uh doesn't really acknowledge the 2016 version very much at At all it's it's no i i i would hope that that 2016 version is not canon oh the girl one oh yeah oh i would hope so it's in its own cinematic universe i think (laughs) it's a separate okay that's yeah yeah I'm glad we can establish that yes, different movies you. have different universes. Yes. That's nice. So 100% agree. In this day and age with all the reboots that come out, we have to. Cause yeah, yeah. One yeah, day there'll, there'll be a Spider-Man No Way Home of Ghostbusters universes. And then there'll be <laughs> a, a multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that'll be the day. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, I can't. Be Except fun. Chris Hemsworth is ghost back together. Oh, incredible. Man, this, this movie, I went to go see it uh, yesterday with my fiance and it was just I, I was laughing the entire time same i loved that little girl's jokes i don't i probably was the only one in the theater that laughed but her jokes were so funny i don't know why and the little kid the little podcast, podcast. kid yeah. he was the best character of the whole movie no. my favorite character i loved him he was fantastic paul rudd was great but yeah, I just it, it it did a great job of balancing the uh, nostalgia of the first one with like bringing a new you know century into it. You know, yeah. like all new characters because like really it was almost the same story as the 1984 sort one, of, yeah. sort of. But like it yeah. felt like you were it was just it was so well done the continuation. Yeah, and it was like it made it clear this that was 30 years ago. Like mm-hmm. this is now, and mm-hmm. and I just loved how they just continued the storyline. You know, yeah. it was a third one that was filmed 30 years from now, and it's just that was so great. Yeah, I loved every second. It was second a beautiful. Of it. Blend. I loved every second of it. Yeah, I did too. It was fantastic. Yeah, some people have been calling it the third movie in a trilogy ending from the original two movies yeah yeah and i think that really does work especially when you look at you know the whole plot and stuff yeah i think i i because i they did a great job of like bringing back the same bad guy but almost in like a new way to where it felt fresh (laughs) but like it was the same bad guy that they faced in the first one yeah Mm -hmm. but it was in a different way that felt like new and it wasn't like watching the same thing over and over again you know it wasn't like watching that new star uh the force awakens which was the same (laughs) plot as a new hope you know just rebranded with new characters so but i think that's a different discussion for another time (laughs) it is a it's a a large discussion one we've had many many times yeah yeah Yeah. don't get me started uh honestly i would love to get you started but i totally understand for the need to move on we should probably move on do you want to talk about facts for ghostbusters afterlife uh sure yeah just go over it briefly let's do it well this film um, I'm not sure when it started development, but I think it was supposed to come out much earlier. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Uh, due to the pandemic, it was delayed and pushed back. Mm-hmm. But it is a PG-13 movie that clocks in at two hours and 40 minutes. Four minutes. 
and four minutes. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> two two hours and four minutes. Well, that's it's interesting because yeah, I thought myself that it was it was paced very well and it used its yes. time very wisely. It was written and directed yes. by uh, Jason Reitman, who was the son of the father who was the director of the original film. Ivan Reitman, as, Ivan Reitman. as they previously mm-hmm. said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is incredible that uh, I don't think we see that a lot, where no. like a son or daughter can yeah. take on the mantle from 40 years ago. I think it's amazing that it speaks to potentially why this movie was so good, because, I mean, imagine him maybe having... Maybe he was there on set when they were filming the original or something. Well, oh, the yeah. dad, Ivan, being was able to, producer. Yeah, and being able to pull this feeling and this this tone and this mm-hmm. magic back into this movie like 30-plus years later. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the perspective on something like that is just unmatched. And yeah. I think it's just, yeah, because you could just turn to his dad and be like, hey, how would you write this scene yeah. back yes. in the 80s or whatever? So, and exactly. they, it, it, You could feel that in the movie, too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he treated it with a lot of respect, and there was, yeah. you know, more than enough homage to the original film. But he also made it a good movie in its own right, which is always rewarding to see where you don't yeah. lose yourself. Yeah, and just trying to retread old ground. Yeah, I think, I mean, you put it best, and I and I would have to agree, honestly. I don't think I've ever seen in the age of remakes of rehashing old movies from maybe from the '80s or even older, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, whatever else has come up. I've never seen a remake that has been this good. It might be the best one I've ever seen because wow. like like Gabe just said, it it is not just uh, recapturing the quality of the original, but it is also a good movie in its own right. And I think to be able to do that mm-hmm. and to grip an audience so well, even maybe a generation of people who aren't even familiar with this intellectual property, it's pretty astounding. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. A lot of those remakes or reboots are they're kind of riding on the coattails of what their previous movies have done mm-hmm. in terms of like, we already have an audience base. Let's just throw together some crappy movie and people are going to go see it because it's Jurassic Park or it's <laughs> Star Wars or like whatever, you know? Yeah. Not to, you oh, know, Star crap Wars, on yeah. those movies, but like this one, like Gabe said, is just, it's so good by itself that it almost didn't really need the originals to set it up yeah. for it to be good, you know? Right. Just the fact that it's yep. tied to those makes it even better. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah totally. Um, you want to talk about the budget? Oh, yes. Budget? Uh, let me see. I had it here. Gabe is unprepared as usual. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I, I feel that on a spiritual level, Gabe. That's me every day. So <laughs> I don't even I don't even know what the script is until I show up. It is great. <laughs> sure. But I think it was about $75 million, And it's already pulling in strong gross. It started at 44 And I think it's it's carrying through the weekend well into the holiday. Oh, yeah. So we're expecting a strong performance. <laughs> <laughs> I've been telling everyone I can about it. I'm like, you, this is amazing. This is an amazing movie and totally worth yeah. your time. I am so surprised that you guys loved it so much. <laughs> I was so nervous because, you know, Stephen reached out to me, what, I don't know, three weeks ago. Let's collab. And I'm like, oh, what movie? <laughs> what movie are we going to do? Make it easy. And when he said Ghostbuster, I was like, oh, that's perfect. That's easy. But then mm-hmm. I was, I listened to more and more of y'all's podcasts, and they're just hey. so diving deep, deep, deep. I'm like, hang on. Let me go put my boots on. It's getting deep in here. But I, I love it. I love it. So I was thinking, God, how are they, after listening to your Midsummer and the like, <laughs> house i was like there's Uh-oh. no way they're gonna love ghostbusters as much as i know i'm gonna love 
but you well, did. I'm glad you say that because I was I was myself shocked at how much I enjoyed this movie. I'm usually very critical Same. of what would otherwise be a kind of shameless uh, unearthing of a an, an historic IP because they're so they're so frequently a misfire. Yeah. Right. I mean, just looking back to the Ghostbusters from 2016. Yeah. yeah exactly. So, but sitting through this movie, it was almost like right off the bat that I knew this was something special, super special. Because I, <laughs> so for myself, yeah, I I would typically be very critical and hesitant to, yeah. but but this this was great. I was very. I have a a lot to say, but I pretty much feel the exact same way as him. I did not expect to like this because although I have seen the original Ghostbusters multiple times, I used to watch it, you know, it would air on broadcast television when I was younger. Mm. I didn't feel attached to the IP as much as a lot of other people have. And so I didn't expect to really enjoy it uh, as much as I did. I expected it to be good because I did hear before going in to see it that the critics thought it was good. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like, oh, maybe it'll be good. But I didn't expect to laugh the whole time. I didn't expect to feel anything uh, at the end of the film emotionally that I did because it it balanced emotion, sad emotion, happy emotion, but also jokes and being able to identify the quality of the characters and have those characters bring sort of like I was talking about earlier, their level of comedic timing or quality of acting and their unique character perspective mirrors so much the original Ghostbusters so that as you're watching it, you know, you can balance the sort of happy, sad medium that I feel like the original does so well, which is something I was really worried about. I'm like, how are they going to capture that magic mm-hmm. of being able to have this really intense thing? Like the world's going to end. We have this massive monster or ghost and then have, you know, a Bill Murray joke at the same time. That's yeah. really hard to do yeah. and really hard to recapture. And I think they did it really well here. I was yeah. honestly shocked, but you know, by about after the first act, I was, I think I have not laughed this hard in a movie in is that Walmart maybe, maybe four to five years. I was like laughing hysterically. Aww. There was one joke. Steven and I saw it together, yeah. you guys. And there was a joke halfway through the movie where <laughs> it's not even a good joke. It's not what even is a good it? The, the daughter, she has the proton pack and she's testing it out in the field oh, with no. podcast. They hear the ghosts like screaming in the background and podcast goes, I think it's a pigeon. It's like a pigeon or something. (laughs) And I I just started dying. I'm like, that was the furthest noise from a pigeon noise. (laughs) He laughed for three minutes. (laughs) Luckily, the theater was mostly empty because we saw a super early show. True. Because we were dying. We kept looking back and forth. I I kept looking at Gabe going, can you believe it's this good? I can't believe it's this good. But (laughs) I'm going to, can I rant for like a quick a quick minute. Do it. Oh, yes. yes. I love it. Get on your soapbox. We'll- I'll soapbox. I'll try to go as quick as possible, but <laughs> I took three pages in notes. But anyway, from the start, like I loved the small town setting of like the Midwestern rural America, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, baby. Yeah. Did you guys feel a, a, a special connection because it okay. took place in Oklahoma? Let me, no. <laughs> no, no. no. Let me tell, it is That's such a bad. Flat. I mean, it is so flat here. I'm like, okay, seriously. We have no <laughs> mountain. No. We have hills. We have, we have hills, hills, yeah. But yeah. But, the whole mining operation, that that's yeah. not Oklahoma thing at yeah. all. No. So, no. Yeah, I, no. I know. I saw that mountain from almost the start and I was like, oh, 
fake mountain. Like yeah, I, yeah. I could almost tell. <laughs> yeah. From, oh, hundred like, percent. Yeah, that, 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 that is not Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't feel any like, uh, oh, like, oh, that's sweet that they tried. <laughs> they kept mentioning Oklahoma like yeah. throughout the movie, and it never clicked with me until the very end. Like, oh, that took place in Oklahoma. Well, and I told Mitchum I noticed when they went to get him out of the jail that there was an Oklahoma flag in the corner it was the wrong colors but it was our flag and that's when it hit me I'm like oh my gosh they really are in Oklahoma yeah, but yeah. no it was so different I just that, kept thinking it was like rural okay. Kansas or yeah whatever, no but. but it was cool though it, it was cool yeah. so and then we Good do effort. not have a town called Somerville no, no. So. <laughs> sure. okay I continue mean, yeah. Stephen that setting was very quaint and I loved it. It felt a lot to me like Richard Donner's Goonies or, you know, Spielberg's Aww. Close Encounters. And it felt like a like a movie that could have been from the heyday of like Spielberg, which I love because I, I love, love, love classic Spielberg. Like E.T. is one of my favorite e. movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, same. But I got to talk about the score too because that also felt classic Spielberg, like classic John Williams. And I, I've been waiting for a long time for the second coming of John Williams. Because people said it was going to happen with Michael Giacchino when he came to popularity because of Lost. And then Super 8 came out, J.J. Abrams' Super 8, which tried Love to capture that Spielberg Super quality. 8. And Michael, Michael Giacchino was like, this is the second coming of Williams. And I never personally have felt that about Giacchino. But this score for this movie, I have never heard someone almost nail a John Williams score and it wasn't John Williams. It was perfect. It was perfect. And I <laughs> and I loved it. Um, and that person's name is Rob Simonson. Hmm. Um, and he's composed a lot of movies I've seen. He composed for Foxcatcher, Spectacular Now, The Way Back. Uh, and then oh, most recently. I love The Way Back. The yeah. Way Back was good. Most recently yes. he did uh, Disney Plus's movie called Stargirl, which actually isn't a bad film. I liked it. It was good. It's cute. I'll take huh. your word for it. Uh, yeah, Gabe will never Same. see that movie. But I would love to see him work on something like, you know, actually Spielbergian, like the next Indiana Jones or something. But Do we need another Indiana Jones? <laughs> it's happening regardless. It's happening, so don't. I'm just going to pretend it's it. not no, happening. Don't go there. It's being directed by, um, what's his name? Ford versus Ferrari. <gasps> Man- yeah. Mangled. James Mangled. James Mangold oh, is a brilliant him. director, and I, because of his brilliance, I'm actually really excited about it. But it also is the first Indiana Jones that will not be directed by Spielberg himself. So that's interesting. Well, they couldn't have picked a better. He did Logan, yes. too. Yeah, yeah. Logan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. He's my becoming, he's up there with Dennis. Denae. Yeah. If Harrison's involved, then I'm not interested. Stop. I'm sorry. Harrison needs to slow down, I think. He's getting up there. Yeah. I love him. Don't get me I love him to death, but... Yeah, you got to know when's when enough's yep. enough, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yep. I'm sorry. Well, the new solo movie, Eastwood. the new solo movie without him was perfect, and Clint Eastwood needs to stop too. Okay, that, Shh. okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. sorry. This is your soapbox, <laughs> Mitch, not mine. Give it back. A hundred percent, Mitch. I'm with. I'm right We're with you. Talking about <laughs> Ghostbusters. That's another podcast. Over True. the hill. True. We'll do an over the hill. You do that with musicians too. No. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so Jason Reitman, like we said, the son of Ivan Reitman, and it's this whole full circle thing. He has done many movies. He kind of rose to fame when he did Juno. And then he did Up in the Air, mm-hmm. uh, Thank You for Smoking, which was actually before Juno. Maybe that was actually his rise to fame instead. But Young Adult, which was the Charlize Theron film in 2011. But most importantly, I, I would say he did a couple episodes of The Office. 
which I know you guys love. You did? <laughs> yeah, you had he did. to throw that but, in there. Oh, boy. I'm waiting to throw in he my did, Ted Lasso the, now. He did two very famous episodes. If you've ever seen the clip of Steve Carell screaming no, like over and over yeah, and over again. Yeah, that's a famous He one. did that episode. It's called Frame Toby, where he tries to frame Toby for having drugs, and it ends up being uh, a, a salad dressing. <laughs> Anyway, I just can't. Is that season three? I guess uh, that was season five or six. But interestingly enough, this is a little piece of information. Harold Ramis also directed multiple episodes really? of The Office. I did not know. know that. Yeah, but the thing that he did so well, I think, here, Jason Reitman in this movie in Ghostbusters Afterlife, was he recaptured the comedic timing. And with Harold Ramis, who I feel like was sort of the heart of the original film, and you had like these two strong comedians Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and then you had Harold Ramis he kind of is the heart it was really smart to put Harold Ramis's you know offspring his family to be the heart and the center of this new Ghostbusters movie I thought that that was just such a brilliant move and so Reitman did a great job and he really I feel like understands what made the 80s adventure films like so great yes you know I don't think anyone else could have done this movie as well as him And then it has, you know, we get to the cast. Like, the cast is brilliant. Mm -hmm. Uh, The cast of adults with, you know, great, well-rounded characters that charm the pants off of you the entire time. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. You just described Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd was so interesting because he essentially played the Rick Moranis character in this movie. Yeah. And although in the beginning you think it's going to be, you know, he's going to be one of the main protagonists, he totally takes a back seat and is sidelined, which is so great toward the end of the film. Gabe and I sort of had the same worry that they would focus too much on Finn Wolfhard's character or McKenna Grace's character for that matter or even Paul Rudd but each of the characters were so well balanced you never got too much of them Mm -hmm. and you never got too little Mm -hmm. and they really fleshed out every single character that they introduced in this movie which also speaks to the direction of the movie Mm -hmm. they're never overused or undercooked it just feels right the whole time I was watching this movie I felt like Goldilocks you know (laughs) Like with this movie, like I came out going, wow, that wasn't too big or too small. It was just right. And like, oh. like I couldn't say, I couldn't feel like a different way about it. I just felt like it hit everything that it needed to hit to make it a good, good, good movie. And I just can't say enough about it. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of my soapbox. It was neat too to see, and I don't know if this is too much of a spoiler, but Annie Potts, the secretary from the original one, yeah, they let yeah. her yeah. have a little tiny I love that. Yeah, that, that was great. And I, I mm-hmm. thought that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, yeah. that was fantastic. So she well, had a really nice post credit scene too with Ernie Hudson. I'm sorry. Yes. Did you guys, did you guys see scene? the post credits? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned for the don't leave the theater, y'all, because yeah. there's a wonderful after take. Yeah. It's wonderful. There's two. Yeah. Wait. Afterlife. There are two. Afterlife. Wait. What? Yeah. There's there's a there's a mid credits and a post credits. Oh, I missed the post credits one then. It's like Marvel. You have to sit in there the whole time to get. That's what I was trying to tell you guys. I was like, you got to sit there till after the after the credits. Oh crap! All right. Well, and it's not the one with Bill Murray. That's the mid credit one. Oh, that's that's the mid credits. Okay. Well, I'll just go back. It's not. It's not really a spoiler, but any in the post credits post credits yeah. sequence there's uh, Annie Potts sitting with Ernie Hudson and they're just talking about I think it was like Ernie Hudson's journey 
Yeah, yeah. so it, it tees it tees the next the next movie. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. good. Okay. Well, and your Jason has already said he's well. He wants to do another one. Oh, I can see so, it. Sure. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I read that yesterday. So. Yes. 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 He's already. I said totally he'd, think he'd do another one. Yeah. There's no way that they could do it without him. I mean. Yeah. Oh, no way. After this one. Well, that yeah. ending, I am being such a fan of seeing the first one multiple times in the theater. It was just, I was overwhelmed with nostalgia. Yes. I mean, yeah. I, I, I was in tears. It was so yeah. beautifully done. Yeah. I'm glad there wasn't speaking in that one particular mm-hmm. spoiler that I'm not going to say, but yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it was beautifully done. And I mm-hmm. attribute a lot of that to Mr. Bill Murray. I mean, he, Mm -hmm. you know, and they say he ad-libs a lot of it. And I just think he just has that, like you said, you know, he has that comedic timing and it just, it was perfect. And then, then, then the part where Dan Aykroyd went up to podcasts and he's like, you know, yeah, because you're oh, my yeah. only <laughs> subscriber, and Dan's like, oh yeah, you know, that was that perfect. was great. Yeah. yeah, loved it. That one hit a little close to home. <laughs> yeah, all of podcast scenes hit yeah. a little close to home. I think that's yeah. why I enjoyed them so much. So. And I think going back yeah. on the nostalgia, I really enjoyed how he the CGI for the ghosts oh, yeah. and the storm and the um, the gun that they used was literally straight from the 1980s movie. Yeah. It looked like they mm. didn't update it at all. Right. Like they used the same creatures or mold or whatever for the the gatekeeper and the like I loved that and I thought that was mm-hmm. such a nice touch. Yeah. Like it didn't feel like you know, it it just looked the same as the one in the '80s, but it almost mm-hmm. looked like they didn't change it at all. Yeah, and that really, I think, added to the nostalgia. Like it was like they were using the same props from like 30 yeah. years yeah. ago. The proton packs. Yeah, the and proton the packs and the traps yeah. and everything, and just like the the storm clouds yeah. and like it the was, lightning that yeah. she used and stuff like that. Yeah, I just yeah. I love that, and that really added a different flavor, or like mm-hmm. it just add that extra step. Yeah. So loved it, loved it. Yeah, it was the. The perfect amount of like CGI with practical effects because you had the demon dogs from like the first film, yeah. Well, and it look it looks so good and it holds up completely well. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we just have to get say a smidge about the little. <laughs> The little marshmallow men. Oh my god, <laughs> oh. guys! I just lost it, and they were yes. blending each other and burning <laughs> each other. Yeah, I'm that like, was what? that was such a nice and homage the to the first one. It was so Hilarious. adorable, and Paul. Uh, that was my favorite scene. It was just so amazing. I just loved it. When the ones walking out on the grill, I was down oh, and yeah. melting. Like, I think come on, I'm come 99% on. sure right, when he was dying, he put his thumbs up in yeah. homage to Terminator. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that really? happened. Oh. I don't know if that's Easter egg or not, but I think I saw it and I was yeah. like, that's that's clever. Yeah. I like that. Oh, so, yeah. I loved it. That, that was an incredible sequence. Yeah. Yeah. It, it. I mean, it didn't really do anything for the movie, but it was just, it was yeah. so, it was so perfect that they just, we're able to just throw that in well needless to say our take 
is go see it. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. We loved it. I mean, this I is know. a question for the two people that have Dune disease here. Is this better? Or oh, is this oh, whoa, better? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we? Apples no, and oranges. Apples and oranges. <laughs> apples and oranges. Uh, okay, can we agree to disagree? It's second but best. I want to the... hear, hear what Gabe has to say. You can't make me choose. <laughs> no, it's um, apples and I mean, oranges. From, I mean, just speaking for myself, nothing can beat Dune. Thank you. In, at all. <laughs> so, okay. But yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah. Yeah. Dune, to me, is like out of any... It's just like how I feel about Dave Matthews. When I talk music, he is so not even one. You know, he's so out of it. He's in a league of his own. He's in a league of his own, and that's what Dune does to me. You know, it's yeah. Dune is a league of its own. I can never compare. I think our rewind is the closest obsession I've had to Dune, but there's no, ugh, there's no comparison. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I think I would agree. It is it is something unlike anything I've ever seen, mm. and especially seeing it in an IMAX theater. It is one. <gasps> One of the few times in my life that it, it was basically, it was like, it was a, a come to Jesus moment. It was a religious experience for me. Yeah. So you guys mentioned that, see, I I missed it in IMAX, okay? Oh, I did. No. I know, because our IMAX theater is, what, more? So it's yeah. like almost 45 minutes away. Yeah. And I know that's no excuse, but I had to see it the Thursday, so I sacrificed IMAX just to go see it on a Thursday night. But you guys mentioned that you think when the second one comes out that they'll re-release mm-hmm. it in IMAX. You still think that's true? Because I'm hanging on every word. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm almost positive that they will. Okay. As a special event. But Gabe has more information. Uh, well, <laughs> on that topic, not really. But there is there is rumor of a limited time re-release in December <gasps> this next month to bring it back in IMAX theaters at select locations across the country. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a small window between, because I, I think Ghostbusters has the IMAX theater for a couple weeks, yeah. and then I don't think anything else will take it before Spider-Man. Yeah. So okay. I think there's a week from December 3rd to December 9th or something like that where, 17. Uh, especially in Texas, I think some, some theaters around the states are going to be bringing it back. So- Keep your ears to the ground. If okay. that's is that the expression? Yes. Yeah. Keep your ear. It is. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, that that gives me hope. That's that's very good. So because right <laughs> uh, now there's always new. hope. Yes, yeah. If we've learned hope. anything, I, we, from we can't go Force an episode Awakens. without mentioning Dune anymore. So might as well we get. Our <laughs> I have to hold Sorry. myself emotional. Back. I just the other day picked up the second book in the series, Dune <gasps> Messiah, because I never read past the first book since high school. So I have to. Uh, so you have that. so you have read the first book. Yeah, okay. I'm intimately familiar with the first book, but okay. I, I, I never. You, you I need to listen to episode 99. I know, I, I know, but I I want to read the book myself it's so before good. you need to. Do it. I, I I will I will read it. I I listen to audiobooks at work, and so I'm. It's on my list. It's just yeah. low on my list. Not well, not in a bad way. I just have a lot of other books. Well, I'm and I look you're a busy, you're a busy man. Amazon, yeah, yeah, and it's like a wait, even on Amazon, because I thought, oh, I'll buy it for him for Christmas. Well, it's a wait, and it's like over a hundred dollars for the. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, uh, well, he can wait. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to say real quick before we pivot into the rewind, which I'm very excited for. Ooh. 
I just wanted to heap some praise on McKenna Grace, who was <gasps> Phoebe in Ghostbusters Afterlife, because she is becoming, and I know you guys don't do a whole lot of horror, but it is that genre has become Gabe, my obsession Gabe, in the last few years. We don't do horror. <laughs> Continue. But I, I'm glad... Because Ghostbusters, it picked uh, from a lot of young talent. Like you got Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Um, but McKenna Grace has been, she's only like 15 or 16, and she has a massive amount of credits, and many of those are iconic horror franchises. Really? Uh, just yeah. this last year, she did Malignant, and I'm so excited to see what she does moving forward because she's an incredible yeah. child actress, and you don't get a lot of young actors of that quality that can really move that momentum into adulthood. So well, very excited to I see. I was walking her in the out of the theater and I stopped dead in my track. Of course, I missed that last post, you know. But and that song came on, so I whipped out and did Shazam, oh, yeah. and it was yeah. McKenna Grace. Yeah. So I, yeah. you know, saw, but I still didn't put two and two together. And I came home and on, and it was one song. She has one song out, and it's that song. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I didn't recognize her voice, but that's uh, that's awesome. She's yeah. very talented. Yes, very talented. Yeah. She was most recently, like he said, malignant, and then she was also in the show Handmaid's Tale. Yes, uh, for the last yeah, season. Her, yeah, we did a little. Well, she got her start in that Gifted with Chris <gasps> oh, Evans. Yes, yes, and I love that. And she that. was in Troop yes. Zero. Oh, <gasps> was that her in Troop Zero? Yeah, that's her. Oh my gosh, <clears throat> she's she been in a lot. Grown up. She's, she's in, I think, in our opinion, like the best child actor that's working today and well, it has been for the last uh, you know the yeah. range that she has yes. just on those four movies yeah. we I just like talked about I like the little jupe kid yeah who in Honey Honey Boy and oh, yeah, he's uh, good too. Ford vs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ferrari no jupe. No jupe. I'm watching yeah. him yeah but now she's on my yeah. radar too it's funny how fast those young, those young actors grow up mm-hmm. because even McKenna Grace is already like, you know, getting older. Noah Jupe's like, what? He's got to be like 19 or 20 probably oh, by yeah, now. Yeah, so it's, it's so wild. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I feel my age. Yeah. <laughs> it me. never stops. It You're never stops. Me. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. So do you guys want to do uh, let's the other do thing? Rewind. Yes. Do you mind if I introduce it? I would love that. Go ahead. So. Uh, today, we're going to rewind Mitchum and I's favorite movie from 2019. It's called The Vast of Night. It's from 2019, PG-13, one hour and 31 minutes long. It is available on Amazon Prime. Um, budget was uh, self-budgeted for $700,000. And the director, Andrew Patterson, we are extremely proud to say that he is from Oklahoma. He is born and bred Oklahoma. um, And we met him down in a film festival in Austin. And they found out we were from Oklahoma, probably because we had T-shirts that said, The Vast of Night that I had specially made. (laughs) I'd specially made. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I know his wife because we're from the same town. So uh, it, it's funny. It was actually a, a horror film festival. Uh, it was. It was a horror. It was a horror film but, festival. But the only wow. film, I, the Your only favorite. film we went to go see was Vast of Night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yep. yep. Um, and he, you know, the film he got. It, he submitted it to Slam Dance um, Film Festival. It premiered there. 
It was the winner of the Audience Award. It got Best Narrative Feature. Um, wow. Went on to, he was in the Independent Spirit Award, was nominated for Best First Screenplay, um, was nominated for Best International Feature Film. Um, it's, yeah, so we are very proud of this. Um, and mm-hmm. we're just, it was written and directed by him, and we're just waiting to see what he does next. So let's yep. talk about The Vast of Night. I'm curious to hear your opinion. Uh, Mitch and I have talked about it enough on our show, so our listeners know that we love it and why. So, yeah. um, But I would love for you all to take over and hear you talk about it. We both just watched it in the last 24 hours because, I mean, I, I would have watched it earlier, but I have been busy with two young children. And, but I, I loved it. I immediately recognized uh, its extreme quality and genius. I, I texted Gabe and I said, this is a low-key masterpiece because uh. it that's what it is. And it reminded me a lot of a movie from my hometown in San Clemente called Brick, which was Ryan Johnson's first movie. And Gordon Levitt is... Yeah, J- yeah. yeah just I looked Gordon it Levitt. up. I'm going to watch that. Look for me in it. I'm I'm a <gasps> uh, extra what? in that movie. It was filmed at my high school, so it was <gasps> uh, a right place, right time kind of thing. And yeah, but anyway. Oh, that's cool. Okay. The thing about Brick that was so interesting was it's very script driven. Yes. And dialogue driven, and it is clearly intelligent because of the way that it's written and the way that the the characters are speaking and sort of naturally pontificating all of this jargon all the time. And so this movie had that exact same quality where the dialogue and how the characters, I think it's focusing sort of on two main characters from the beginning Mm -hmm. and how they're interacting and saying their lines back and forth and how quickly it feels natural and it is natural, but it's almost in a way sort of supernatural that they're able to speak that fast, almost like in a uh, Sorkin, like Aaron Sorkin's scripts. It reminded me a lot of how that very intelligent fast speak back and forth between the characters but it's that added with sort of the brilliance of the look and style of the movie that made it so fascinating and why i was calling it a low-key masterpiece because the way that it was shot the camera movement the way that this is a kind of weird thing to talk about but the way that it was colored because it was colored and it had a color grade to it that was extremely fascinating so the color palette and sort of the muted tones and Mm -hmm. it had a grain over the whole thing to make it look like film and this movie knew what it was doing it had such an identity from the outset it started and kind of with the notion that it is a a twilight zone episode or or it it wasn't it wasn't exactly called that and then you you sort of geniusly pointed out ali that the wotw yes was an homage to war of the worlds the radio station yeah yeah radio show um, did I knew you that. not know that? Yeah, I think I did, but it just world. clicked. Well, and the name of the movie came from um, a Shakespeare, The Temptest. The t- Temptest. Oh, the, Temptus. the name. If you read a yeah. little blurb in there, it says "The Vast of Night," and that's where the mm. movie, the name of the movie, came from. Was mm. a Shakespeare piece. 
So yeah. so, yeah. That's what I think makes, you know, these masterpieces, very, very good films so brilliant is that they have this identity and then it clearly knows what it's doing. And you know, just as an audience member, as a viewer of the film, that it's reaching into something and it has these deep roots into things that might be, you know, above your... I don't know, intelligence level. Like mm. I, I felt, I felt for me that I'm like, wow, this is, this is deep. There's something yes. more going on beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. It's like the person that is in charge of making this movie, who is uh, Andrew, as you guys were saying, it clearly seems like an intelligent person. And it's screaming at you from just watching the movie without actually even knowing how deep those roots are, mm-hmm. where the intelligence actually lies. Yeah. But I will preface that, uh-huh. you know, I've found it's kind of hard to suggest the movie to it's a lot of people. It's not for everyone. It's not. And I mm. knew I knew you guys would love it because you're in that industry. I knew you would. But to the like for instance to the girls I work with or the people that, you know, call me and say, "What movie should I go see?" I'm, you know, sees maybe one movie every 3 months. It's not mm-hmm. for them. I tried it, and I'm like, what'd you think of it? Well, they couldn't get through the first 15 minutes. It's very character-driven mm. and just, blep, you know, all that conversation in the beginning between Faye and Everett. And, well, it's, know, a, who, it's, a, it just, it's a slow burn. It is and a so, slow burn. And it's a movie that leaves you thinking about it two weeks down the road. You know, because it leaves it so open-ended and the ending yeah. is such the, you know, the way it is and you just kind of like leave the theater and at first it doesn't really hit you. But then, you know, like two weeks later when you're eating dinner in the shower, just like you just think about yeah. it, like just constantly for the rest, sure. you know, for, and it's just one yeah. of those movies what? that just stays with you yeah, and for what, so long. What movie have you seen where the theater, where it just goes black? And you're you're listening to a story, yeah. mm-hmm. and you're looking. You're in this theater. I mean, we've seen it in the drive-in. We've seen it in multiple theaters, and that it goes black, and it forces you to listen to this man's story. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's yeah. unprecedented. You know, and yeah. I even, you know, why do you do that? Why do you do that? I I went to, you know, and I'm like, well, he did it, you know. So you listen to the story. Yep. So it's it's really unprecedented in many ways in many ways and that my favorite scene to this day i watched it last night is re-watched it is that scene where you know little Faye gets up and she smokes a cigarette and you go through the town and then you go to the basketball game and then you and the music playing during that scene you know it uh it's just uh it's unreal yeah it's it's so good yeah. it's brilliant yeah and then the I ending gets me every time that ending the car ride uh, with the two driving from that moment on i'm just i've got goosebumps it it just it uh, it's amazing we love it so mm-hmm. much and i'm so happy you all liked it too I could gush about it for hours. Yes, really? I'm sorry. Oh, what was and your I, favorite part? I'll keep it brief just for the sake of our time. But I, I actually knew about this film. I hadn't watched it, but I knew about it since it dropped two years ago because it made waves in a mm. lot of the online film communities. Yes. And pe- people were talking. People were like, you got to see this because it reminded me after having watched it and while watching it of a lot of classic low-budget sci-fi, which I have a very soft spot in my heart for. Films like Gareth Edwards' Monsters, Mm. Shane Carruth's Primer, uh, Coherence, or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I... I got that vibe immediately, and I'm I'm a sucker too. I grew up on Twilight Zone and Outer Limits. Yeah. Yeah. So it immediately pulled me in. 
I was unsure what it was trying to do in the first like 15 minutes because it's just it the way it is written it is so driven by dialogue like you said and as soon as we hit the switchboard scene 20 minutes in with Faye uh, Sierra McCormick's character yeah and it's just an uncut nine or ten minute take yeah. it is it yeah. is instantly like oh this is a masterpiece yeah and it is such a blend which is so rare for a feature debut of genuine inspiration and technical proficiency so i had to do some digging and i looked into andrew patterson's his story i had there's not a lot on this enigmatic man on the <laughs> internet. He, li- he likes it that way where'd you find out yeah and I respect that. I, I totally identify with that. But he did do a podcast that I listened to right after I watched the film last night. He did. He was on Roger Deakin's podcast, of all people. It's called Seekin' Deacon. No. no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember exactly. That's a miss. You, I can find it on Spotify. That's a missed marketing opportunity right there. It's a missed opportunity. Right all now. you have to do is type in Deakin's on Spotify okay. and you'll find it. And if you listen to our podcast, you know I gush over Deacons all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely had to listen to this. And Andrew Patterson is an incredible communicator and a brilliant mind. And I, I listened to this guy for an hour talk about his process, where he came from, what was driving him into the film and making the film. And he, he brought up a few points that I wanted to mention that shows his mastery of filmmaking mm-hmm. and specifically what he was trying to do on this film. The first of which was he talked about uh, transcending medium. Which mm. I think I've never seen a movie it's timeless uh, that does it so well, and specifically, what I mean is the blending of yeah. of of film and radio and radio, yeah, and the idea of like a podcast story that something Andrew talked about was how he wanted this to be something that you could almost like just close your eyes to and listen. And he he did that, like you said, in the movie with there are segments sometimes that go on for a minute or two of just black. Mm-hmm. It's black screen. Mm-hmm. And you're just, you're completely drawn into the moment because there's, you're just listening to people tell their stories. I think it happened frequently in the phone conversation where yeah. yes. Ever, Everett's talking to Billy on yeah. the phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was completely surprised when I was watching. I was like, What's ha- I had to check to make sure yeah. my my thing wasn't broken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But then afterwards, I was just like, "That's that's incredible." Because I've also for a while wanted to experiment with the idea of a radio drama. Mm-hmm. For that reason, like, how well can you tell a story like isolating individual elements of filmmaking? Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. The second thing Andrew mentioned on the podcast was taking genre seriously, mm. which I am a huge proponent of, and it gets so lost today in a lot of modern blockbuster filmmaking. And what I mean by that is like, uh, like for instance, a Marvel film often like loses its identity because it's trying to be mm-hmm. so many things for so many people and it's so riddled with mm-hmm. uh, jokes and stuff like that. Sure. But this film, something that's really, the inception of it is the story in the script and the dialogue. And I was completely immersed watching it the entire way through, drawn into the story and on the edge of my seat, just yeah. thinking it's so rare for me to be drawn in like that and dune is a good example there's another dune drop <laughs> yes. um, where it's like a dd nothing nothing is breaking <laughs> this momentum of the of the narrative for me yeah 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 totally and then the last thing was uh amongst other things he mentioned was and you already mentioned this too steve with aspects like lighting yeah. and camera work he wanted the film to feel very genuine and real and authentic mm. and not just for its time period but something that could 
age well moving yeah. forward. And I think he completely achieved that, especially considering the micro budget that he was working with mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the small scale of the production. He shot this whole thing in 17 days, yep. which is amazing. Yeah, And it, it was just, it knocked it out of the park. I was like, yeah. he completely nailed the visual feel of the film. Yeah, The sound design was amazing. And that's a huge part of it, not just because of the focus on like radio drama, but also just, it is a, a huge plot point is the the immersion which we love sound design because we're huge david lynch fans yeah i love sound. And so that was immediately yeah. like a huge hook for me and other stuff like uh getting authentic performances out of his actors both jake horowitz and sierra mccormick mm-hmm. had to know respectively what they're doing with tape recorders and winding tape and all that stuff yeah. and yeah. then sierra mccormick had to learn the switchboard and yeah. andrew was talking about how they spent so much time comparative to their shooting schedule yeah like getting the feel for that and also their chemistry with each other and how it was just kind of like one of those lightning in a bottle Mm -hmm. uh productions that really just came together and so i those just that's like a a lightning list of points for me things that really it was amazing to see from such a small production yeah i should also say that i i'm already a sucker for for alien stuff or like any sort of extraterrestrial. I'm a huge X-Files fan and I yeah. love sci-fi. But then I'm also a sucker for brilliant filmmaking. Yeah. So this movie checked all of my boxes oh, and I'm definitely going to watch it again. It's a and rewatch. Become, I'm going to become a Vassive Knight apologist for sure. And, oh, and Andrew, Andrew Patterson apologist because he's got a massive career ahead of him. Like yes. huge, huge yes. career. But yeah, he's, he's definitely going to be one of those people, like you said, oh, winning and awards. And saw, yeah, give content. it up for that six-month-old baby. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh. That, it was a real baby. Unlike what's this? Uh, American Sniper, American I think American Sniper, yeah. where he got dogged for using baby a fake baby. <laughs> yeah, give it up for oh, that God. baby. And little Faye running with that baby so much. <laughs> well, I am so happy you guys watched it. I knew you'd love it. And keep Andrew on your radar. We are. We're, we're super proud of him um, for representing our state so well. And, yes, we, have, we look for big things coming out of him, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you Absolutely. know, it took years, too. I mean, if you've read anything on Andrew, or I don't know if he talked about it with Deacons, but, um, which I can't believe I missed that podcast because I feel like I just have read everything on Andrew. But, uh but yeah, he's he's been doing it a long time. I mean, I think he worked on the Vassanite for what six, seven years. The script and, alone, yeah, yeah, a long time. Yeah. So, yeah, we look for it shows many things in the future from him. Yeah. So, well, I this was been absolutely fantastic. We talked about a new movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yet we all four agree we loved it. I am so, so happy you two loved it. I really just yeah. was so <laughs> nervous. So, I want to see it again. Yeah. yeah. We're going to have to to see that end credit scene. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, excited. And then I'm just thank you for rewinding with us. Um, oh, of course. For the vast of night. And I believe it'll be on Amazon Prime for a couple more years. Yep. So we, I'd love to get my hands on a DVD or better. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on that, but I don't know if that'll happen. We'll see. It wouldn't even have been on our radar if it wasn't for you. So thank you yeah. very much. Good. And I'm thanks for good. taking the time to talk to us. Today. Yeah. 
Uh, loved it. Yeah, loved we'll have to do so this again much. sometime. This was, yeah, this was... yeah, we will definitely. Oh, this has been so fun. I, yeah. I, I'm so stoked we got to do this. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a part of yes, this. Yes, thank oh, you. Thank, thank you, you all so much. And here at the end of our normal review podcasts is a track from Rob Simonson's Ghostbusters Afterlife Score. 